is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 576, recorded Monday, March the 21st, 2022. Welcome to the program, everyone. It is good to be here. I'm glad you are here as well, uh, including you, Jason. How's your week going so far? So it's Monday. So far, it's it's Fan Monday. Fan Monday. Good old yeah. Fan Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's... New week. It comes with a complete set of new promise and challenges, right? That's right. Yeah. We just have to get through another week before we have to get through another week. It's, I don't know if I've said this before, but somebody, one of my neighbors, I was talking to him once and uh, it was a, it was a Friday and I was like, Hey, how's it going? He said, well, you know what they say? Only two more work days until Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, so good times, good times. Uh, so we are here to recap the latest episode of The Walking Dead. That would be season 11, episode 13. But just before we jump into that, Jason, there is a little bit of Walking Dead news that's been hanging around for about a week and a half now. And you and I haven't talked about this and I haven't brought it up on the podcast before. And it has nothing to do with spinoff shows. Huh. And you know what that means, that you haven't brought it up and we haven't talked about it? It means that you have no idea what it is. That means I do not know what it is. That is correct. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to tell you. Actually, I'm not that excited to tell you because it's a bit of a bummer. Okay, great. (laughs) So here we go. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, production of the, I think, final episode of The Walking Dead, episode 24 of season 11, was shut down or partially shut down because Norman Reedus suffered an injury on set and resulted in a concussion. Oh, geez. No real other details came out other than that, but he was taken to hospital and he had to take some time off to rest and recover. Uh, He is going to be fine. Now that a couple of weeks have gone by, he came out with a statement and said, "I'm, I'm doing great, just recovering, I'm resting, and we'll be back to shooting uh, very soon. I think he released this over the weekend that just passed and he said he'll be back on set on Tuesday, which by the time you hear this, it will be Tuesday, the 22nd. So, uh, he's back now and they're back up and running, but I just thought I'd mention it in case people hadn't heard. It doesn't affect the release schedule of the show at all, of course. And Norman is going to be fine, but he did have some sort of accident. No details. Don't know what happened. Don't know what they were shooting. Um, but, uh, you know, he's going to be good. So I wanted yeah. to let, you know, wanted to let the fans know just in case there's anyone who hadn't heard. Well, I wish them all the best and they might not have been shooting anything, right? If I learned anything, uh, you know, whacking your head can be as simple as, uh, walking out, uh, to take out the garbage on a rainy, uh, rainy Thursday. So <laughs> uh, very good point. You, you take a header into the stone wall and, uh, you know, bada bing, bada boom, you're on your way to the hospital. So it doesn't have to be, you know, film related, it just has to be set related. That's right. Might have tripped coming out of the trailer. The trailer might have come off of its moorings and landed on him and uh, he's so strong that only his head got slightly injured. Who knows? I mean, he is Norman Reedus. 
he is Norman Reedus, and with those arms, he could probably just pick up the trailer and you know spin it around a little bit. But uh, on the way down, maybe he whacked his head. Who knows? Yeah, uh, that, I, I'm sure it's something like that that happened. But uh, just like you, when you took your header in front of your house, he's going to be fine. Good, 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 good. Yes. All right. So Norman Reedus is good, and you're right. He's got good arms, doesn't he? Well, it's Norman Reedus. They like showing him off. Well, who wouldn't? If I was Norman Reedus, I'd show off my arms too. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, a number of years ago when I started playing hockey, uh, it really didn't do anything for me fitness wise. But after a few months went by, the first thing my wife said is your arms look better. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, I, I don't think that's lasted because I've sort of settled into my sedentary lifestyle again. But for a little while there, I had slightly more defined arms apparently. Oh yeah. Or yeah. at least your wife's perception of your slightly more defined arms was uh, ramped up a little bit. Right. Of course. And it really helped that I started wearing uh, shirts with the sleeves ripped off all the time. Right. So Yeah, that'll do it. That'll you know, do it. They were always out there, right? I'm just trying to figure out how you playing hockey made your wife go slightly crazy. <laughs> I don't I don't quite see the correlation, but uh, it happened. You know, it happened, so yeah. it, but there must be something there. There's something, I don't know. All right. Well, we're glad to hear Norman is going to be okay and they're going to get back at it and finish off episode 24, which we'll see sometime in the fall. Cool, cool. All right, let's move on, Jason, to our recap of season 11, episode 13 of The Walking Dead. War Warlords. Lords. Thank you, Matt and Frankie in Oklahoma City and Happy Jack in Victoria, BC. Obviously, that second one from Happy Jack was Terminator themed. For was it? Uh, was it? Was it actually Terminator? Because it, it sounded like Terminator, but it sounded slightly off too. So it sounded like uh, royalty-free Terminator. But I'm not really sure. It could have been. It well, you know what? It likely was uh, royalty-free Terminator or sound-alike Terminator. Yeah, uh, which is fine. You know, because we really shouldn't be playing the Terminator theme on this podcast. But there's a good reason it was Terminator themed, which we'll get into later as we recap this episode. And I do want to point out that there is one more title read from our friend Tallahassee's twin brother that I'm going to play at the end. And I apologize, Tallahassee. It's just because it's two minutes long. Oh and, my. And that's a little long for a title read. I feel terrible not playing it here, but it's worth hearing. So stick around at the end of the podcast for Tallahassee's title read. Okay, good, good. I'll stick around. Please Don't do. just hang up and, and, and leave. I'll stick around. I that promise. That would be nice of you. Great. All right. So this episode is called Warlords. It is episode 13. And we start off with some walkers just kind of coming through some brush and we got Elijah up on the wall at Hilltop and he shoots an arrow at one of them and we get sort of arrow cam as it flies over and hits the zombie right in the head. And it turns out he's up there on the wall having a shooting contest with Marco. Remember mm. Marco? I remember Marco. At least when you saw him, you remembered him, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's Marco. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Not out Elijah. He has good arms. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Again, so. wearing like... Cut off sleeves, right? Yeah. Well, if you're going to spend all that much time working on your arms, you're going to wear cut off shirts. It's really right? true. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Jean-Claude Van Damme. That guy cannot keep his clothes on. 
uh, in any of his, uh, it's been a while since he's been in the movie, but, uh, well, no, he's been doing movies, lots of made for TV stuff. Anyway, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, that guy in any of his, uh, prime time, uh, you know, movies in his prime, he could not keep his clothes on and he had to do the splits with a close up of his ass. I mean, is that because, is that because of his arms or is there some other reason he kept his It's because off? of Jean-Claude Van Damme and he's okay. exceedingly vain. And ah. he wants everything to be, if there's a, if there's a shot in the movie that does not highlight his muscles, then it's uh, cut. It's, it's, it's complained about. Interesting. Anyway. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I guess, uh, him and Elijah have something in common, but they're up there having this shooting contest. And then Lydia comes to the gate from the inside and it turns out she's decided to leave and go to the Commonwealth. Uh, and Elijah questions her. But she says, uh, and says she'll probably be back. And then she goes to leave. And it would appear that Elijah has a huge crush on Lydia. So, yeah. so Marco is like, hey man, take your shot. And what he does is he offers to escort her there. So she doesn't get bored <laughs> on the long walk. <laughs> well, you don't want to belittle her by saying, do you need someone to protect you along the way? That's just, that's. All rude and probably wrong. True. But, you know, keeping somebody company in order to have a good conversation, that's a nice way to put it. Actually, you're very good point. That's very good. Uh, very good. I like that. Um, now, but before they can follow up on this, a dude on a horse approaches and he is badly injured, covered in blood. He gets up towards near the gate and then falls off onto the ground. Lydia approaches him, notices that he's been shot and he kind of mentions the devils and liars, and he says they're slaughtering them. And then he hands Lydia something before he dies, and we go to the opening credits. Wow. So we don't There's know a lot about this dude action, yet. Yeah. yeah. When we come back, uh, Maggie, Lydia, Marco, and Elijah are looking at the map that the dead guy gave Lydia. It turns out it's a map. All of them but Maggie want to go and follow the map and help another group uh but maggie says they're barely holding on and they just can't do this now because they just don't have the people for a fight right mm -hmm. and lydia and elijah decide to go anyway so we see them packing up a truck a short time later and as they're doing this maggie comes out and apparently has changed her mind and she's going to join them so she says goodbye to herschel and he's she says to him she'll be gone as long as it takes yeah, and she doesn't uh, like she doesn't just say I want to come with you or I'm coming too or uh, let's all go together or anything. She just hand, holds out her hand uh, and expects everybody to realize that she's talking about hand me the keys. Yeah, and it, it's just uh, you know once again I'm dragging this back to a five year old, but that's what you know. It I just wanted to look at her and say use your words. What uh, what are you trying to say by holding out your hand? Yeah, milk. It's like, okay, one word does not help. You know, if you want something, <laughs> ask for it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest with you. It was a slightly awkward scene because when you watch it, she, she approaches them at the packing the truck and nobody says anything. She just walks up and Lydia and Elijah just turn around and walk up to her also without saying anything. And then she sticks out her hand. So I feel like it just would have felt a little more natural if we had heard Maggie go, Hey guys, or hold up guys, or Lydia, or, or call somebody's name, you know, something like that, which got their attention and then they approach her. 
I don't know why they couldn't have done that in ADR or something, but you're right. It felt kind of awkward, even though I understood what was going on, you know? Uh, yeah. And then it was a bit weird. Yeah. A little bit weird. That's all a little bit off. And I'm, I'm like, that seems like an easy thing to fix. So I don't know why they wouldn't, but maybe, yeah, may, maybe to them, it didn't feel awkward for some reason. I don't know. It, it was almost like human beings would act. Almost. Not quite. Exactly. Not quite. It's just, it's, it's really close. It, it's like as if an artificial intelligence, did these people have belly buttons? I don't know. Cause uh, you don't trust people without belly buttons, right? Cause it, if it was an artificial intelligence that was taking over human beings or mimicking hu human beings. This might be how they act. Right. Because if people don't have a belly button, I mean, they're not human. They, they, uh, no. you can't trust them. Like you said. The yeah, this was off the air that we were having this conversation earlier. We talked about this earlier, yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, <laughs> basically even uh, what, what I was saying was even vat-grown humans have belly buttons. Right. And and, and the uh, the schmoes from the Matrix have belly buttons because they have umbilical cords. So if you ever meet somebody and they don't have a belly button, they're an alien or a robot. Okay, so be careful. Be wary of the belly button free. Yeah, No. no kidding. All right. Uh, that also just makes me think we, I should record everything we ever talk about because yeah, that happened off the air. Yeah. <laughs> and again on the air, here we are. Well, it's nice to repeat things. Of course. All right. Well, we cut over to Lydia, Maggie and, uh, uh, Elijah driving in the truck and Lydia's kind of questioning why Maggie doesn't want the Commonwealth's help. And she says that we can get by without it. And that easier isn't always better. And then she tells Lydia this story about corporate developers who tried to buy her farm way back in the day, right? Her family farm. Mm -hmm. And she says Herschel, her dad, always refused, even when they brought crates of fruit, uh, food to help him run the farm during a drought they were experiencing. And she, Maggie says they stuck together and they got by, you know, these hard times. But Lydia says she no longer wants to just get by. That's what she's been doing. She wants to have the same thing every day, sort of a routine and, and you know, a life that isn't just surviving all the time. And she says it's made her, you know, this experience has made her stronger and wiser, but it kind of hurts and she wants something different. So Lydia thinks the Commonwealth is a better option, uh, but Maggie says these people haven't been tested in 10 years and she doesn't want to be there when they are because things are going to go bad. And she asks Elijah if he agrees and he says, yeah, with most of it. <laughs> so <laughs> it just feel like not a lot of people are on Maggie's side anymore, you know? Yeah, but she's in charge, so you go with it. I guess so. I guess so. She'll murder you if, uh, if she's in charge and you uh, go against her, her wishes. Uh, you're going to get murdered. Yeah. Well, um, uh, that's true. <laughs> you, you don't want to cross her. That's for sure. But at the same time, as we learned last week, like with Oceanside, people have a, a butt ton of, a, of, uh, respect for Maggie. So even though people are leaving, it's kind of like, it's not you, it's me. You know, I just want to go and watch a movie and eat some ice cream and maybe I'll come back later and help out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, movies and ice cream, that's, uh, that's quite the draw. It, it is, you know? So, uh, anyways, they're driving down the road, having this conversation and all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's three zombified Commonwealth troopers walking down the middle of this long straight road they're driving on yet. Nobody saw them until they were right in front of them. 
well, maybe they, uh, did they teleport? Oh, no, it's the, it's that, uh, if the camera doesn't see it, neither do the actors. Yes. The characters. Yes. I mean, Maggie does turn her head to look at Lydia in the passenger seat a lot, but I'm sorry. You would have seen those guys from a lot farther away than that. So just one of those stupid things, like you said, the camera can't see it. So neither can the characters. That must make it really hard to drive. Because they spend a lot of time uh, with the camera pointed at the uh, the characters inside the car. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what was Maggie doing? Like, she must not have been able to see anything. That's the problem. Like, you can't see 10 feet in front of your, well, these guys were more than 10 feet away, but you can't see, you know, 50 to 100 feet in front of your face. Yeah. That's not so good, I would think. There was a lot of fog right up until when they stopped and then it all burned away. All of a sudden the fog disappeared and there they were. Yeah. Something like that. The fog of war. Yeah. Well, they stop, they get out of the truck, they kill them, uh, but they find that these guys were knifed and shot to death. So they didn't die, you know, by being attacked by zombies. Uh, and then suddenly Aaron comes running down the road toward them. Sudden Aaron. Sudden Aaron. And we go to a commercial break. So when we come back, we are with Aaron. He's dressed quite nicely, I thought. And on screen title says one week ago. So we've gone back in time a week. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to go back and read that title read a couple of times, cause, or the, at least two, because I thought maybe uh, this was a flashback to before the zombie apocalypse. But then I'm thinking, no, that said one week ago, and he has a fake hand, so he didn't have that before the apocalypse. So I was able to uh, short. Long story short, or a short story long, uh, is that uh, I was able to uh, eventually keep up with the show. Oh, very, very good. So one week ago before that moment on the highway there. So Aaron enters a church where Call Me Gabriel is delivering a sermon. Now, I don't know if I'm going to recount the whole sermon here, but one important part of it is that he reminds people that when they were out in the wasteland, as he calls it, it didn't matter if they were strangers before, if they could rely on each other and, you know, um, trust each other, they did just those things, right? And yet, sitting beside a person they don't know in a church seems to make them uncomfortable. And he gets to the point that if you strip away all the differences, like what people do, or where they live, or how much money they have, we're all just people, and we're equal, and we were trustworthy and helpful. To each other and he says that they cannot be the way they were before the world fell so i really enjoyed this scene actually i thought seth gilliam did a great job standing up there in front of those people delivering these lines and i think he just elevated the scene above the kind of obvious nature of it because clearly this is a reference to some of the issues with the commonwealth right they have this class structure that is sort of pitting people against each other or pigeonholing them into different class levels whereas when you get get rid of all that and people are out trying to survive we're all equals and we actually kind of made it work right everybody poops yeah even the queen (laughs) <laughs> not the queen everybody but the queen oh everybody but the queen okay fair enough yeah she has someone poop for her right she's got people for that <laughs> yeah. um 
but I but I really liked it. And I like I said, it's a little on the nose what he was saying, because it's pretty obvious what he's referring to. Uh, but at the same time, Seth Gilliam did such a good job. I was enthralled by his uh, standing up there and just delivering this sermon to the people. It was good stuff. It was really good stuff. Yeah. Um, but Aaron listens to some of this. And then later on, Aaron and Gabe are sitting in the church after everyone's left and they're chatting. And Aaron compliments the sermon and Gabe mentions that it's not an act. He hears God once again. He's not really just going through the motions. He's, he's into it again. Yeah. And that's good. I, I think that's great for Father Gabe. Yeah. I mean, if you kill enough people, uh, maybe you can get back to where you were before. I mean, it comes full circle, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's like smoking, right? You have, uh, you know, you start smoking and uh, it gets real gross, but you have to work through it to get back to, uh, it comes around. I mean, I'll have to take your word for that. I've never been a smoker, but uh, you were and were an expert for a while. Uh, Yeah, and I miss it. Uh, Actually, right now, not so much, but there's been times in my life where I missed it quite a bit. When you were a smoker, did you drink as much coffee as you do now? Oh, good Lord, no. So you replaced it with coffee in a way? Uh, Well, not really. I think... uh, uh, I don't think they're related in any way. I just think ah. the coffee curve uh, has been on an upward slope for quite some time and the smoking curve, uh, you know, went up and then came down. Right. Disappeared uh, altogether. Dis- yeah, disappeared altogether. But right. the, uh, the coffee curve, uh, yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, it's mutually exclusive. I think uh, uh, it's just, it's coincidental. Got it. Okay. I was just yeah, wondering. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. After it, therefore, because of it. It's not because I quit smoking that I, I drink more coffee. It just happens to be that I drink more coffee now than I did when I was a smoker. Okay. Fair enough. I drink more coffee now than I did when I wasn't a smoker. <laughs> well, you drink more coffee now than you did when I was a smoker. So maybe my quitting smoking has uh, made you drink more coffee. Maybe. I don't know how that works, but you never know. Well, this, this weird causality thing is uh, we're all interconnected. I think we might be. And everything I do affects everything everybody else does. Well. I'm the center of the universe and everybody else is a figment of my imagination. Great. All right, then. Then what I do doesn't matter. You don't even exist, my friend. Oh, my God. All right. Well, if, <laughs> before I'm not I, looking at you and talking to you, it, there's nothing there. It doesn't, you don't exist. Before I continue to not exist, let's uh, keep going on this episode here. Sure. Uh, so, Aaron's reveals to Gabe and I guess to the audience that his job at the Commonwealth has be, was in the immigration department. And he says that he worked at an NGO in the before times, which is why they gave him this job. Well, which is, uh, doesn't that fit exactly into what Maggie was saying about the, the people, uh, you know, developers. I thought maybe that they were connected. I mean, I thought maybe, uh, the fact that he, uh, Aaron was talking about what he did before and Maggie mm-hmm. was talking about what happened on the farm before that these two storylines would be interrelated. Oh, funny. Uh, so, uh, maybe that's the, maybe that's the case, but, uh, there's definitely parallels here between what Maggie tells about what happens on the story. Uh, sorry, what happens on Herschel's farm with what's going on with, uh, the, the main plot of this particular episode. R- right. Yeah, that's true. Actually. I, I didn't really put that together, but you're absolutely right. But what Aaron reveals is that they've found a religious group of about 40 people 
holed up in a building and they're going to make contact and Aaron wants Gabe to come along because they're a religious group and they figure he can uh, appeal to them. And then Aaron also mentions that his boss Carlson will be coming and he kind of implies that there's something a little off about the guy, but he doesn't go into it. And then as they're chatting, a new kid who's named Jesse comes in and says that they're ready to go. Cool. Yeah. Now, I'll interject here that according to the Walking Dead wiki, the place that they're going is called Riverbend. And that was a location that I noticed on the map that dead Jesse, who is the dead guy that showed up on the horse at the beginning, which will be explained, the map that he gave Lydia had Riverbend on it, marked on it. Cool. So it all makes sense. Now, later on, Aaron Gabe Carlson, whose first name we find out is Toby, and this kid, Jesse. And when I say kid, I mean like younger than the rest of them, you know, probably in his late teens, 20s kind of thing. So to me as a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, the definition changes as you, uh, as time goes on. So oh, like, yeah. oh, he's, he's just a kid. He's only 35 years old. Right. Exactly. Hasn't experienced anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know anything. <laughs> no. So the four of them uh, are outside this complex and they're inspecting it through binoculars. Toby's all pumped up about going in and recruiting these new people, but Aaron and Gabe don't think the place looks very friendly. So they have some serious reservations about approaching this community at all. And then Aaron notices that the troopers that have escorted them there are setting up camp, which means they won't be coming in to provide protection for them. Well, that's what, that's what they do, right? They show up and they set up camp. So far, this is what these soldiers have been doing. Uh, in the last few episodes, they yeah, show true. up, they set up camp, they don't take their armor off or their masks off or anything. They just show up, set up camp, uh, and march horribly and have amazing aim. That's right. Fire at their friendlies that are amongst zombies and only hit the zombies. That's right. Now, Toby, I had, uh, uh, for about, once again, I had to, uh, take some time to catch up to the episode. So, uh, I had to come to terms with the fact that this was his introduction to the series. Yep. Okay. So, Cause uh, I recognized this guy from Ozark and I didn't know that I had recognized him from Ozark uh, until a little bit later. Uh, so I'm like, I know that guy was he on, was he on before? Like, Oh, I'm trying to put together his character in my mind. It took me a little bit, but I finally uh, reconciled it all. He's on Ozark. eh? I gotta, I don't remember him on Ozark, but I don't, Ozark's a funny show that way. It is. Every time I, I go back to watching it and I'm almost up to date. I haven't seen all of the current episodes yet, but every time I go back to it, I'm like, okay, what was going on before? And so I'm not surprised I don't recall this guy right now. This is why I got to rewatch series. Like every yeah. time a new season's come and, and I'm feeling uh, the pressure for Better Call Saul because that's coming out in April. And uh, I better get on Better Call Saul to rewatch the entire series before the new season comes out. You better, because you cannot miss Better Call Saul. It is no, and it's I'm going to get spoiled if that shit comes onto the internet and I'm not all over it. Yeah, then uh, then I'm shooting myself in the foot. It is one of the best shows on TV and has been for years. So they know what they're doing on Better Call Saul. I'm really looking forward to that. But anyways, uh, so this Carlson guy, Toby. Yeah, I, I was taken aback by him a little bit too. I'm like, a new character 
now really another guy who's going to be this prominent um but he is this is the first time he's shown up on the show and here we are um so they're standing outside this building aaron and gabe want to abort this whole mission which really gets toby all agitated and he says he knows what he's doing so eventually gabe says fine but he removes his clerical collar and then toby calls that part of his costume and says and uh, gabe says this is how it's going to go so I, I really think it's rather insulting to refer oh, to yeah. a priest's collar as part of his costume. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, uh, I mean, unless no, it, it's absolutely insulting. I'm just I'm trying to equate that to the uh, the armor costumes that uh, that he you know he wears a little bit later. So uh, you know, theater is a big thing in this show, right, or in this universe. Sure. So uh, you know, referring to. Uh, father gabe's father outfit as a costume is very very insulting but may not be outside of his uh, realm of experience yeah but it it says a lot about this toby dude right like he does not take what father gabe does seriously and oh he's a he's a he's a class 1b asshole he is absolutely and and like he just you know, and this is revealed as the episode goes along. We don't really know it at the time, but he is a guy who just doesn't respect this. He's using Father Gabe for what they think they need him to do in this situation, right? And it doesn't, he doesn't care that he genuinely believes these things. And this is a huge part of his life. In fact, it's the defining thing about his life as it is for most religious people or, or you know, priests and and you know, religious people like that anyways. Yeah. And he calls it a costume. So it's so insulting. Uh, and I was just like, I don't like this Toby guy. I, I think he's an asshole. Uh, yeah. And that really kind of, I, I was feeling that already going into this and then this hammered at home. Oh, we're supposed to be uneasy about this guy right from the get go. Yeah, I think you're right. So after a commercial break, the four of them, uh, Gabe, Aaron, Carlson, and Jesse, have approached the door of this building. Aaron starts talking to the building and says, he explains who they are. He says they've ex they extend friendship. He mentions that they left some MREs for them and that they're gone so that they must have found them. And then the door opens and a few intense looking people come out, including a woman with a shaved head. And she makes them surrender their weapons and then brings them inside. Once again, uh, the father of me is, she just came out and said weapons. Yeah. Like, one okay, word. Use your words. Like what exactly are you talking about the weapons? You know, maybe you could phrase it in the form of a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weapons? You know, <laughs> weapons. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have weapons. They're right here. You have weapons. Everybody has weapons. What are you trying to say exactly? Yeah. So <laughs> this, uh, yeah, I, I prefer to tell people to tell me what they're thinking and, you know, if they require something or are trying to say something that they use whole sentences. It's nice. Just be clear in what you're Maybe saying. Maybe even punctuation here and there. Oh, that would be nice. Well, they they take them inside into this sort of entry entrance area that is lit with candles, <laughs> you know, which I thought yep. was set the mood. Uh, there's a bunch of other big scary dudes in there and they close and lock the door behind them. And then the big dudes pat them down looking for more weapons, I guess. 
Then she sends them further into the building with some big guys following. So they make their way down the hall, eventually to a door. They are sent through where this community's leader is sitting behind a desk. Now, Jason, the whole walking down the hall bit, speaking of theatrical, I thought this whole scene was rather theatrical, right? They're walking down this hall. It's lit with candles, so it's dark. The light's flickering. They're passing doors and side hallways, and there's scary-looking people just hanging around down these hallways, not really doing anything other than looking intimidating. And I thought it was all a bit silly, but it did kind of portray a frightening vibe a little bit. Like, our characters are in there, and they don't know what they're getting into, And that's portrayed in this scene, but at the same time, having all these people standing around just staring at them was a bit weird. It's, uh, I agree with you. It's all very melodramatic, uh, you know, uh, mood setting intimidation tactics. The only thing they could have done that was uh, even more over the top is if the leader guy had turned around and had, uh, you know, he was sharpening a knife. Or holding a, a, a white, stroking a white cat. (laughs) <laughs> well, that would look, that'd be a little too campy. But if he was sharpening a knife, it's just like, come on. But, you know, they dialed it back a little bit and then changed direction and then ramped it up a little bit more. So it was just a slightly different uh, direction. But the, the melodramatic, uh, you know, artificial theatrical tension uh, was definitely uh, out for consumption. Like it was on full effect there, right? Oh, yeah. I I. And that's not saying I didn't like it, but I, it did jump out at me and I'm like, okay, they're just using this to sort of, yeah, pump up the, the, the vibe of this, this whole hall walking scene. Well, here's the thing is that, uh, you know, I agree with you that this, uh, seemed a little bit over the top, but in my mind, I completely accept it as an in-world thing. This world, this universe likes the theater. Everything is theatrical from the good guys to the bad guys to everything. So yes, this was theatrical, but in universe, it's completely explainable. I don't want to like, this may be a bigger conversation for some other time, but has the walking dead always been so theatrical like that? Or are we just different now or, or or picking up on it a little bit more like, and is it a bad thing? I, I, I think I might need to think on that a little bit more. I don't know. The governor. It started with the governor. He had this whole zombie fight thing as the theater for the masses. Yeah. Right. So the governor had theater. Uh, I'm just, I'm wondering if uh, it started even earlier than that. Uh, I'm trying to think. So that was season three. Uh, So I'm trying to think of the first two seasons, whether or not there was this theatrical aspect to The Walking Dead. I'm not sure there was. Well, I don't know, but like it it became very clear and it was even said explicitly by uh, um, Ezekiel, right? That that he specifically created that character in a way to give people, you know, someone to look up to and admire. And that was his like theater, theatrical character approach to making people feel more comfortable in the apocalypse right yeah but it just feels like that kind of idea is now being displayed in the show all over the place without it being explicitly said like it's one thing for a character to be like you know this is what i was doing in world but now it's like everybody's doing that in world without kind of acknowledging it you know yeah 
Well, we need themed gangs, right? So yeah. uh, we have, uh, you know, have we had a rock and roll gang yet? I'm not sure we have, but uh, that'd be too Mad Max, right? Because that was a very rock and roll gang. Right. Now, Mad Max did it really, really well. But uh, yes, it is. Like, I'm not just, sure it's been there since the beginning. I agree with you, but it's definitely there now. Like I just, at one, like early on with, with uh, King Ezekiel, like it was a plot point. Now it's just like a style that the show uses. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of baked into the world a little bit more rather than one guy that had a good idea to lead his people. And, and that's fine, but it, it seems to be jumping out at you and me anyways, a lot more than it used to. And I guess that's just the way they're they're kind of writing the show now. Whether it's whether it's like intentional or out of necessity to I don't know, but it's well, definitely I'm, there. What I was gonna say or what I'm thinking is that it might be a slight overcorrection to the bad guys all seeming a little samey. Yeah. Which is a complaint we had before or that the uh the community has had before that all you know okay encounter a bad guy in charge of a, a community uh defeat him then move on to the next bad guy in charge of a community and uh, defeat him so now we need uh we need fucking themed gangs in order to uh, keep things fresh right how do we make them different from each other and add the theater <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, you know, theater. Give them all white, uh, you know, foam armor, you know? Let's see if uh, that makes them. Or give them all, uh, you know, all black uh, uniforms with face masks, mm-hmm. right? Like the CRM. Uh, so everybody has to have a theme. Yeah, that's true. Even the Reapers, you know, they wore masks at least for a little while. Some Then they just carried them around, you know, but. Yeah. Everyone has a theme. All right. Well. Inside this room is the leader of this group, whose name is Ian, played by Michael Bean. And Michael Bean is an actor who's been around for a long time, Jason. He's pretty well known. He and this sure is, is. This is where the Terminator reference comes in, because he was in Terminator. He was in Aliens. He was in The Abyss. He was in Michael Bay's The Rock. Uh, even the Grindhouse double feature by Tarantino and uh, what's his name? The other guy. Uh and apparently when I was looking at him on IMDb, he was in one episode of The Mandalorian, which I, I either didn't know that or I forgot because I did a whole podcast on The Mandalorian and I don't remember talking about Michael Bean. That doesn't mean I didn't, but he was in one episode of Mando. Well, there you go. Yeah. So well-known guy, been around for a long time and here he is in The Walking Dead. So they all sit down and they have this conversation with him. Aaron starts off, he tries to be friendly and lay out their plan, he lists all the great things about the Commonwealth, and he invites them in, essentially. But Ian resists, says that you have all this good stuff, if you have all this good stuff, there must also be bad stuff, like hookers and gambling and drug addicts, <laughs> right? Because yep. there's, there's always a balance. And then... Oh my God. Aaron pulls out a friggin' iPhone and shows a bunch of photos of the Commonwealth, which I was like, seriously, Walking Dead, you're going to show a smartphone that's 10 years old, that still works somehow. I know it's not impossible, but I thought it just stuck out so badly i i kind of hated seeing the iphone and i know it's not even the first time we've seen an iphone on this show because if you remember 
Michonne finds a phone, right? With that little drawing on it when she's looking for Rick, or it's one of the things that puts her on the path to finding Rick. Yep. But I could do without smartphone technology 10 years into the zombie apocalypse. I'm just saying. Well, how else are you going to display or, you know, show pictures? Uh, I have a, I have an, my iPhone that's 10 years old. Uh, it's even older than that. Uh, and it still works. Are I mean, you I sure? Plugged it in. Yeah. I haven't plugged it in in a while, but, uh, it's still kicking around. I still have my original iPad that still works. Well, I'm surprised about that because all of the former i Apple iPhones and pads that have been in my house have all had the battery swell out of them or the screen broken or, or whatever. And none of them are in working condition anymore. And maybe that's just me, but even that aside, I'm like, you guys, I know the Commonwealth is huge. There's power. There's all the stuff you need, but you're charging phones to be used as cameras. Really? Yeah, really. I mean, what else are you going to do? Not waste power on charging phones to be used as cameras. They have power. They have all kinds of, they have money. They have yeah. music. They have uh, stores. They have ice cream. They have power. They have, you know, they found an iPhone that worked and they use it. The one iPhone they found that worked, mm-hmm. they took some pictures and they use it as a, uh, a, a selling tool slash ruse. Right. A sales tool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, it bothered me. I'm just like, I don't think they should have functioning phones on this show this far into the apocalypse, but they do apparently. And he shows them some pictures. And then Aaron talks about the screening process to get in. Uh, he says it's actually quite thorough and complicated, but Ian calls it an audition, which... He's not wrong. The theater. Yeah, there you go. Then he asks where the Commonwealth is located, and Toby says that they can't tell him. So Ian points out a shelf behind them that is full of skulls, and he says those are the skulls of raiders, murderers, and cannibals, and things like that. Uh, And he says it would be dumb for him to let them go if he doesn't know where they live. So then he pulls out a gun and screams for Toby to get on his knees, points the gun at him, and talks about a previous visitor who made promises but just wanted to kill them all. Yep. So Ian has, you know, gotten a little upset. So Father Gabe questions why they would come if they already have everything they need. And Ian suggests that they're actually cannibals and they're here for the meat, the human meat. Uh, But Aaron's like, that's crazy. We've already offered you food and water. Why would we do that if we were here to like come and eat you guys? And so this kind of convinces Ian to let them go. He seems to back off a little bit. But just then Toby jumps up, grabs the gun, shoots Ian, then shoots the two guards that they have in the room and the rest of the guys are like, what the hell, man? You know, I, th- I think we were making progress here. But Toby said he just did his job. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah. And then nobody else heard that. Like, there's the guards in the room and all the other people throughout the rest of this uh, complex. Uh, nobody heard it. Yeah. Presumably there was a dude standing right outside the door. Because as when they let them in, we saw a couple of people out there, right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Nobody heard it. 
or if they did, they hesitated long enough and didn't come in. Uh, but Toby tells them to keep Ian hostage and lock the door. And then he goes out and says he'll be back when it's safe. So we just see him run out of the room, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, after a commercial break, we are with Lance sitting in his office and we get another title on screen that says one week and one hour ago. <laughs> so it's seven days plus one hour ago. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Flashback humor. There you go. Toby shows up, says that he got Lance's call and Lance explains that Milton released a whole bunch of resources to him for the quote communal project with these hick towns out in Virginia end quote. Mm. So he's calling Alexandria and Hilltop and everywhere hick towns. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. And he says he used some of the resources that she released for him to send a convoy full of supplies for that other thing, which is undefined right now. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the other thing is. Then the convoy was hijacked. The troopers all killed. And apparently this was Ian and his people who stole the supplies and weapons that they had with them. And he says, you know, I can't use more resources to take them out. And he asks Toby to execute a surgical solution to this problem with Ian's people. And he reveals that Toby is a former CIA guy and or assassin. Uh, but Toby's like, I'm retired and I prefer my current job of finding friendly people. I don't want to go back to doing what I used to do. Wet work. So Toby, uh, what'd you call it? Wet work. What's wet work? It's uh, because of all the blood. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a wet team, a CIA wet team goes uh, in and uh, makes things uh, dead. I see. Well, that's what Toby used to do. He was that kind of guy. So Lance threatens to take, oh, take everything away from Toby. Uh, basically like your new job, your new comfortable job that you like, you know, we can take that all away. And then the scene gets weird because Lance is drinking scotch or some kind of, uh, uh, whiskey and Toby dips his finger in Lance's drink and licks it. And he asks him if he's tired of living, which was an interesting question, but then Toby agrees and Lance, I mean, agrees to like go on the mission and Lance suggests that Aaron and Gabe go with him. That's why they're involved. And, Toby is worried what'll happen when those two discover the truth about what they're doing. And Lance says they'll fall in line because everyone does. That's a little arrogant. A little bit, I suppose. It's a little yeah. arrogant for somebody whose drink just got fingered. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, this whole thing, like Toby, this is the one of the weirdest things we've seen. Like you're like, what's the deal with, dipping your finger in someone's drink just intimidation i think it's uh it's weird it's awfully it, it's awfully aggressive and mm -hmm. uh kind of sexual right it's no, just it's maybe. very intimate it's uh you know it's like sticking your finger in somebody's mouth it's uh it's yeah yeah, it's very aggressive, yet very intimate. It's just, uh, you know, and then he licks the finger, right? He dips it in his drink and then licks the finger. It's just, it's it's asserting, asserting dominance in a very weird way. Yeah. And the other thing is that I didn't mention too. So Lance is drinking this scotch 
And he offers some to Toby when he comes in. Toby says, no, I'm four years sober next month. And then he goes and does this, dips his finger in and licks oh, it yeah. off. Right? I didn't catch that, but that's, uh, that's a really bad thing to do for an alcoholic. You would think so. You would think so. But I think it just is, they're trying to tell us that Toby can't be trusted. You can't believe what he says. He, he'll, you know, he, he's just not an honest guy. Maybe he's not sober. Maybe he's an alcoholic and he just kept, keeps telling everybody that he's sober. I don't know. The whole thing was, was just really kind of creepy too, in a way, you know? Um, but I'll tell you, and this is stupid, but the thing that bothered me the most about this scene, and yet you, you kind of see this a lot in movies and TV shows. Did you notice when Lance, every time Lance takes a sip of the scotch, he like takes it into his mouth and then he jerks his head back as he swallows it. What, you don't drink that way? No, I don't drink that way. And anyone who's ever had a some whiskey before and enjoys it, I don't think drinks that way. And it's just one of those things that you see on TV and movies a lot to kind of just, uh, I don't know, to remind the lit, the viewer that this person is drinking something that's a little, maybe a little harsh or they don't like it or something like that. I, I don't know why they do it, but it bothered me because he took like three sips in the scene and he jerks his head every time. Oh, maybe he's a bird, you know, and that's how birds eat, right? Oh yeah, they gotta just shake everything down their throat. <laughs> yeah, they just uh, they throw it up in the air and they kind of they get it, get it down their throat. Yeah, they don't have lips and do they have tongues? Birds have tongues, right? I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time looking in the mouths of birds, but man, my wife would know the answer to that. And the, the internet screaming at me, going, "Yeah, of course, birds have tongues. They just don't have teeth, you moron." Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, it bothered me, but it's a trope that you see a lot when people drink uh, whiskey on TV. I didn't notice it in this show and I don't notice that kind of thing uh, in in other TV and movies. Well, maybe you I, will I'm not now. a whiskey drinker. No, I know. I don't know. All right. Where are we? Uh, we cut back over to Riverbend and they drag Ian out into the candlelit room where they first came in. Toby questions him about the guns and the cargo that they apparently stole, then pistol whips him. Ian doesn't give up the information, so Toby hits him again. But meanwhile, Father Gabe has snuck behind a pillar and jumps out and punches Toby, knocking him down. The troopers that are there grab Gabe. Toby shoots and kills Ian, so he's dead. Michael Bean has been on the show for like a couple scenes, and now he's dead. And then proceeds to kick his dead body multiple times. Well, yeah, because if you're going to kick somebody, kick them when they're dead. I, I guess so. Add insult to injury, kick them when they're dead. <laughs> well, it's a way of uh, communicating that someone is completely unhinged, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And Aaron is aghast at all of this, of course, because he's lost control of this whole situation. And he says that they're supposed to be helping people. And then Toby says, we are, but this is the other side, snuffing out threats. Right. Right. We help some people. We snuff out others. Now they hear a horse outside and it's Jesse riding away on a horse. One of the troopers shoots him in the shoulder, but he continues to ride. Then Aaron smashes the trooper in the face with his mace hand. Toby points his gun at Aaron and pulls the trigger twice. I think twice, but the gun is empty. So it just click clicks. Another couple of troopers run up. 
They shoot and miss, which allows Aaron to run off into the forest and get away. Bye-bye. Yep. Just then, somebody from back inside the building calls out. And so Toby and them run in and they find that Father Gabe has escaped and killed the trooper that was holding him. Toby is like, what the hell, guys? This is not going so well. And he asks for his armor. Yeah. Bring me my armor. That's right. I'm going to need it if we're going to solve, if we're going to rectify this situation. Yeah. But don't wear, don't wear a mask. You're, because you're a named character uh-huh. uh, and named characters don't wear masks uh, when they're wearing armor. No, they do not. So after all this, we go back to Aaron uh, on the street with Maggie, Elijah, and Lydia. And he's, I guess, been telling them this whole story the whole time, but we've been seeing it. And then Maggie suggests the stolen shipment might have been a lie and questions what the Commonwealth would want with all the guns. And I'm like, what? Why wouldn't the Commonwealth want guns? They have a whole military for crying out loud. They just want guns. Yeah. I don't understand what Maggie doesn't get about that. Uh, But then she pulls out the map that they got from dead Jesse. So now we know how Jesse was shot and, uh, but we don't know why yet he showed up at Hilltop. But anyways, Maggie thinks that Aaron gave Jesse the map, but Aaron says he didn't. So who Hmm. did? Uh Uh-oh. Don't know. Now we get a title on screen 12 hours ago during the attack. That's right. So we're back. They wouldn't want to put a time in there. 12 hours plus five minutes minus three. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But your watch stopped, so you don't actually know what time it is. So anyways, 12 12 hours ago during the attack, Jesse is stealing a horse to ride away. And suddenly Deus Ex Negan appears behind him. Dun, dun, dun. Negan's back, everybody. He uh, looks good. I haven't seen him in a while. I think he looks pretty good. I think he does look good, but I watched the episode a few times, right? And the third time I watched it, I did notice he's wearing three shirts and a uh, sleeveless long hoodie <laughs> over the shirts. And that's fine. You gotta dress I, in layers. I'm just like, why does he need three shirts? I don't know. Well, it, once again, I'm gonna drag this episode back to dealing with a five-year-old. Uh-huh. Sometimes he wants to wear three hats to school. You know, he'll he'll put on a hat and he'll want to wear another hat and he'll want to wear a third hat and two pairs of gloves and mm-hmm. uh, he just wears a bunch of stuff and he goes to school and he thinks it's hilarious. Sure, it is and, funny. I think that's and hilarious. Dave thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, because the friend of the show, Dave, uh, I drop him off with Dave every day, and Dave thinks it's awesome. Uh, have you known? I don't know if I've ever asked this question or ever mentioned this before, but I always called Dave Davo. Do you ever do you ever notice that that I say, "Hey, Davo"? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've I did that a couple of times at uh, at the uh, at the daycare that uh, or the YMCA that Dave. Uh, works at, he's known, everybody knows him as David, right? Uh-huh. Which is a bit odd. So professionally, he's known as David. So at his workplace, he's known as David. So I've been, uh, since I realized that, I call him David. Sure. Right? But then every once in a while, I'll call him Dave O. And then my son has started calling him Dave O. Oh, and, uh, good one. <laughs> so now <laughs> it's it's kind of a generational thing. Anyway, uh, sometimes people just want to wear lots of shirts. I guess is just the way it comes down to because in this whole episode, various characters are all acting like five-year-olds 
And uh, this is Negan's five-year-old moment for me. It's, uh, he just wants to wear a lot of shirts. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, you're right, though. He looks good. And I think, I think the costume is, is fine. But the three shirts jumped out at me for some reason. I don't know. But he's there. Negan. Maybe it's like wardrobe greebling. Do you know what greebling is? No. It's a uh, spaceship modelers used to, or, or did it. It's you add pieces, uh, aesthetic pieces to a spaceship model to break up straight lines or flat surfaces. Okay. You just, you add on things like pipes and sure. things, knobs and stuff. Okay. So it's, it's known as greebling, right? You just take pieces and you glue them on and it makes it look like more of a spaceship. So I'm thinking maybe this is more of a wardrobe greebling thing. It's just uh, layers and complexity. It's just adding uh, structure or not really even structure. It's adding, uh, just, you know, intricacy to his, uh, his costuming. Yeah. And it, it kind of works. Like I'm not saying it doesn't work, right. Cause he does look kind of neat. <laughs> I'm going to wear two shirts tomorrow. Okay. Do it. Do it. Actually, you know what? When I was younger, there was a long time where I'd wear two t-shirts on top of each other just all the time. Why? I don't know. I don't know, but I did. So I can't complain. If I did well, that, I would me, wear a t-shirt and a collared shirt over top. That's what I usually do. I never wear a collared shirt without a t-shirt underneath. I do that all the time. I don't. I wouldn't do that. I don't know why. And I can't leave the house without a hat. I don't feel complete unless I'm wearing a hat. I don't know what that's all about. No, I don't either. Like I can understand shoes, you know, things like that, but a hat, you don't need a hat in the middle of summer. I, I mean, maybe always. you do for keeping the sun off your face, but then you need a big sombrero, right? Cause you need proper shade. So if you, well, if you walk around in a sombrero all the time, I'm okay with it. I have a big Tilly hat for when I'm working outside in the yard. Yeah. I got Tilly hat for the yard. I got a cap for every day, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm a hat guy. Okay. Well, that's weird because I, I never, ever see you in a hat because I only ever see you on video and you're not wearing a hat in the house. I'm never outside <laughs> in the video. No. You're not. Anyways, uh, Negan showed up, Jason. Look at yeah. that. Negan's back. He questions Jesse about how many of them there are, and Jesse tells him. And then a woman runs up behind Negan. Her name is Annie. And she reports that a priest and a guy with a spiked ball for an arm are arguing with a guy with the guy in charge. So this, of so course, alerts Negan to the fact that it's Gabe and Aaron. Yeah, he says, I know them. That's right. I know <laughs> those guys. Uh, Jesse, who's standing there still, he mentions the Commonwealth. He says that Gabe and Aaron didn't know either, and this isn't what they signed up for. So he's telling Negan that like, they're not really part of this. They're not here to hurt people. At least they didn't know they were. And then Negan gives Jesse the map, points him toward Hilltop and says, tell Maggie that Gabe and Aaron are in trouble. So Negan's the one that provided the map. And sent him on his way. So we cut to Negan and Jesse, or Negan and Annie sneaking back inside the Riverbend building. They hear Toby saying the snuffing out threats line, which is a line he delivered uh, earlier in the episode that we saw from his perspective, right? And that's when that that was right before uh, Gabe punched him down. So Gabe is now a prisoner standing there with this trooper. Negan sneaks up behind, cuts him free, or Annie kills the trooper and Negan cuts him free. And then they run off deeper into the building. And that's when we see Toby come back in to find Father Gabe having escaped. 
Right. I don't know if that all makes sense having me say it out like that, but if you watch the episode, it, it kind of should. We're seeing the same scene from a different perspective right. and explaining how Father Gabe escaped the situation. Yep. So very good. Commercial break. And then we are with Toby. He's up on the roof. He's topic, talking through a megaphone. Well, ho- hold on, hold on. Uh, I didn't catch this until I'm just uh, doing the watch along as we talk about this. All right. He has a bottle of whiskey. Who does? He, uh, Toby. Oh, yeah. And he pours a little bit of whiskey onto his finger, mm-hmm. hands the bottle back to his buddy, and sticks the finger in his mouth. So this is a thing he does. It's not just uh, some weird thing that he was doing uh, with the, you know, the, the finger in the drink. Uh, this is, he's sober, and I'm holding up air quotes here, but he uh, he tastes alcohol through his finger. One finger at a time, right? One finger at a time. This is his bottle of whiskey that he's drinking ever so slowly, one finger drip at a time. So what does that mean? Like, what are they, what's the show trying to tell us here, the way he does this? Is it just something about him that's super weird or is there more to it than that? It's, uh, it's his distinguishing feature. All right. So everybody has a distinguishing feature, uh, that makes them special and his special comes from, uh, drinking fingers of whiskey. Yeah. Sipping, sip, or maybe he just likes to stick his digits in his mouth. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like if anyone out there has a different interpretation or a better interpretation of this, I would like to hear it because I just think it's weird and creepy. And maybe that's all that they're trying to do on the show is just make him seem really creepy. You know, we know now he's, he's a, a killer and an asshole and has very low morals, but you know, are they just trying to make him weird and creepy as well? Or is there something more to it? I don't know because I can't really figure it out. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. And, and I have another question for you. Okay. The armor that they're wearing is white armor with red bands. Doesn't the regular trooper armor have white armor with black bands? Or you're am I misremembering that? You're saying this armor is different? No, I'm asking, is this armor different? And I, uh, or am I misremembering previous armor? I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to go back and check. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was different um, markings on armor to indicate different rank, right? That's a thing in real life, isn't it? I mean, uh, maybe not yeah. armor, but on uniforms. On uniform, well, they have rank insignia, right? Yeah. So you have chevrons up and down, little clovers, clusters, you yeah. know, various bars and things uh, to indicate rank. Uh, rank. But uh, uh, I don't know if the armor is different or not. I'm going to try and uh, go watch the previous uh, previous episode and see if I can uh, find that out. But I'm just wondering if this armor is uh, slightly different, different, indicating a different uh, branch, not really branch, but a unit, different unit of, uh, of the military. Like these guys are specialized in something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, back when we flashed back to a week and an hour ago when Toby was talking to Lance, uh, Toby does make reference to 
what does he say? If you can't send a squad, send a company. Yeah. Um, and I mean, those are just different, as far as I know, different sizes of um, groups of soldiers. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how to well, describe squad, it exactly. A squad is like four to six people. Yeah. And a company is like f- four to 500. Yeah. Well, Lance says something about a hundred, a hundred troopers. So maybe, you know, it's, it's definitely a lot more. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it couldn't, just mean that though, because the, it's the same troopers. It's just more or less of them, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it looks like the armor is all with the red banding. I'm uh, looking at the previous episode, and it looks like they all have uh, the red banding. And I just misremembered. Okay, so but it's not the first time this has happened. Uh, uh, I the first time I recall this happening is you remember when I used to live by you on uh, uh, in Toronto? I do. And I remember uh, one day I was walking by the fire station that was right north of us. Yes. Uh, where I used to live, the apartments that I lived in. And right in front of the fire station was this was this huge tree uh, planted in the yard of the fire station. And I walked by that tree and I'm like, that fucking tree wasn't there yesterday. I'm pretty sure it was. Like, I'm, well, that's the thing is that this tree is probably 60 years old. That tree was there when I moved in, but I did not see that tree before. And that tree looked new to me. It's like, where did that tree come from? It didn't so just pop out of the ground, just like this kind of shit happens. So, uh, yeah, I thought maybe this was a different, uh, uh, configuration of the armor, but it's not. And okay. I apologize for, uh, going down this rabbit hole for no apparent reason. Well, that's, that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad we could clear that up. So they're up on the roof. Toby is talking through a megaphone. He says that the residents of this building are enemies of the Commonwealth because they stole from them. Negan, Annie, Gabe, and a bunch of other people are hiding inside, listening to him on this megaphone. Toby's got a group of prisoners on the roof, two of whom are right on the edge, bound up on their knees. Uh, And... Back inside, Gabe questions where the weapons are. Annie says she doesn't know, and Negan sticks up for her. He basically says, if if they don't know, they don't know. Uh, back on the roof, Toby's questioning a couple of these guys, and then he pushes them off to fall to their deaths. The people inside can hear the screams as they fall down, and we kind of see their reaction as we hear Toby push at least three or four more people off the roof. Then we cut back upside, outside up onto the roof and he instructs the troopers that are with him to search every room and kill anyone who won't talk. There you go. So this dude is not very nice. Back inside, Annie speaks to her people. She says that they have to stick together, that Ian was their first Uh, wasn't their first leader and that they stayed safe by working together. She says they know the place better than the troopers do and that they'll be able to get through this. And then Negan compliments her on her pep talk to the people. And she says, well, they needed to hear it. Yeah. And he said that they, uh, they killed the best of us. That's right. So does that mean the, the guys on the roof were the best of them? Or the leader was the best of, because they were talking about the leadership, right? It wasn't our first leader, right. but uh, we stick together. So, but I, I am questioning, or not questioning, but I'm highlighting the use of the word us. Mm-hmm. So Negan is part of this community. It's not just something he showed up to and is just kind of hanging around. He considers himself part of this religious 
community. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point because it's not clear to me exactly how much time has passed here. So Negan left, as we know, and we haven't seen him for a couple episodes. And now he shows up here with these people. So he left, he ran into them, managed to successfully join them, become part of their group. And he's been with them for presumably some time, long enough to get to know them, long enough to integrate himself into them and become part of this group right which i find really interesting about negan uh he he seems to be content being just one of the masses and not being the guy in charge yep which for negan yeah. you know is saying something maybe it is but he also has to keep a very low profile because yeah. uh you know joining this community where the leader has the skulls of people he considered murderers and turncoats and right uh you know malingerers i'm not sure exactly what the entire all the adjectives he used for the to depict different people with the skulls but if he knew who negan was uh and what he has done in the past uh negan would negan's skull would be up on that wall he might be but if he's not threatening to ian and these people like it it seems like he he only killed the people that threatened them or he had a reason to not trust (laughs) Well, you see, then he's coming up with, uh, you know, excuses, yeah. right? It's just like, okay, uh, you're threatening me, so I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to justify it by saying that you're a murderer mm-hmm. uh, and therefore evil, and that's why your skull is on my shelf, not because you were threatening me. Yeah, so, I guess so. Uh, anyway, it's just uh, Negan has to be, uh, I, I, I'm sure he's playing a part, uh, you know, being a, pretending to be somebody he's not in order to not have his head removed. I guess so, yeah. Unless he's then, genuinely this this person now, right? He he's not pretending yeah. anymore. He's just a he's just a guy who wants to get on with his life and keep a low profile. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I have a hard time with that because the uh, you know, as the esteemed Dr. Phil used to say, uh the best indicator for future behavior is past behavior. Mhm. So, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. It doesn't mean people can't change, but it's just a good indicator of what they're going to be, what somebody is going to be like. Sure. What they've done in the past. So, uh, I have a hard time believing that Negan is, you know, turned uh, over a new leaf and has become a, uh, a devout, um, good guy. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. If anyone might not change, it's Negan. Anyways, we have one more scene. Uh, before this episode wraps up and it is Maggie and her crew who have killed one of the troopers and are in the building as well, making their way up some stairs into the higher floors of the building. Aaron closes a door behind them and we're over episode done. Now we now have a diehard situation. We've got a diehard situation and obviously that we're going to get the sort of second half of this diehard story uh in the next episode which i didn't really see coming um when when they introduced this new group and you know gave us the information about how the commonwealth was approaching this and dealing with this i expected it to either not go anywhere or kind of all be wrapped up within this within this episode and then next week we'd move on to something else but no we're sticking with this storyline for now it seems anyways because uh toby's on the roof sent troopers into the building the rest of our characters are in there hiding and it all has to be resolved somehow 
And this is how Hilltop gets on the Commonwealth's shit list, right? Because now Maggie is now actively working against the interests of the Commonwealth. Yeah, that's a really good point. So even if the offer to join them was still on the table, it's probably off the table after this is all resolved. Yeah. Do, do you think Toby's going to survive the next episode? No. No, neither do I, frankly. No, he can't. Uh, yeah, he's too... Uh, I think they have to figure out or tell us what's going on with his uh, alcohol finger dipping thing. Like <laughs> yeah. that. I'm not even sure what that is, but uh, they have to resolve that because, uh, you know, once is weird, twice is... Uh, uh, a coincidence <laughs> three well, times is a pattern. Yeah. So we haven't quite gotten to a pattern, but I think they're establishing a pattern. So we have to figure that out. Yeah, I guess we do. So what, what did you think of this episode, Jason? Because my initial reaction to it was, oh God, I don't think I like this very much. Uh, they've introduced this new group, which I don't feel good about. They, they, there's all these new characters. There's this new Toby guy that I don't like. It's a new location. And my initial reaction was like, oh, I thought we were done with new bad guys. Like, let's focus on something else. Uh, and then I thought the sort of time jumpy storytelling was annoying, which is weird for me because I kind of like that kind of thing usually. But then I watched it again and I relaxed and I settled down and I'm like, okay, you know what? Put aside the feelings of what are they doing with these new characters and just accept it. And then I really enjoyed it. So all of my problems went away on the second watch and everything sort of fell into place for me. And I came out of this one going, you know what? This was actually pretty good, I thought. And I just got to get over my get over my feelings of I want the show to do one thing and it's not doing that and just let it, let it happen. And one, once I did that, I'm like, okay, this is pretty fun. And I, I had a good time watching this episode. I, I did enjoy it. And uh, I too was worried about a new set of bad guys, but they weren't a new set of bad guys. They were a plot device to introduce the conflict between uh, the Commonwealth and uh, our intrepid heroes. Well, right. and, and, and just show us how the Commonwealth deals with other communities, right? Because yes. the Commonwealth obviously has a relationship with Alexandria and the other communities, and we've only seen that, right? But this episode opened our eyes to the other approach they take kind of thing, right? There is, sure, sometimes we welcome people in, but other times we eliminate threats and... I do think that's important to know about the Commonwealth, right? They're not just all fucking unicorns and rainbows all the time. There's there's a real dark side to this place. And yeah. that's what this was all about, revealing that to the us, the audience. Yeah. And it also gives us a way to get uh, Maggie and Negan back together and on the same side. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, Negan shows up and it was so clear, you know, that he's like go here, talk to Maggie and no one else, tell her that Gabe and Aaron are in trouble. It really, really feels like Negan genuinely cares about these people. Wouldn't he send a message to Alexandria rather than Hilltop? He can't, he you can't know, Gabe send... and Aaron are both uh, from Alexandria. Wouldn't he go after, go, you know, looking for Daryl? 
Well, nobody's at Alexandria. I don't know how he knows that, but Daryl's at Commonwealth. Maggie's at Hilltop. Like, who the hell's at Alexandria? Scott? Uh, Remember Scott? I don't Judith. Think... <laughs> we have no idea where Judith is. She's probably at Hilltop, actually. Uh, so I think that's just convenient writing. Like, you got to go here, find Maggie. Because there's nobody at Hilltop that I remember their name of anymore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it happens. You know, I met them all, but like, I'll be damned if I remember what their names are. But yeah, this was huge about making Negan just feel like he's on our side, you know? Yeah. No, I like this episode. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was good. I mean, and it introduced a new uh, bad guy that has quirks and is evil and is a class 1B asshole. Uh, which is always nice to nice to see. Yeah, but I think he's going to be dead by the next episode. I don't think, like, on one hand, I think the show's probably using him as a bit of a red shirt so they can kill a character and be like, see, we kill people. But at the same time, I just feel like he's got to die too. He's such a dick that someone's going to take him out and we're all going to feel really good about it. But on top of that, they're they're showing us that Lance is really, really up to something. You know, he's got his fingers in all this stuff. And I think Lance is going to become, and maybe we said this already, but he is going to become the actual real bad guy from the Commonwealth, or at least the representation yeah. of it. Not Pamela Milton who you think would be because she's the ultimate leader, but it's Lance. Lance is scheming and conniving and totally up to something. I'm with you. you know? I agree with you. And this episode was all about that because he referenced things that we don't know about, like projects he's got on the go that are secret. He's misusing resources. He's instructing people to go and kill certain communities. He's bringing in Alexandria and Hilltop for reasons we don't really understand other than he wants the power of running them. He's got you know, a shipment of guns going somewhere for some reason. Yeah, exactly. He, he lets somebody put his finger in his drink. So and weird. Just And doesn't put it down. Like he still hangs onto it for a while. He's still going to drink that, you know. I think he might, yeah. It's gross. <laughs> That's, uh, that guy's finger's been in his mouth. Who knows where it's been? Well, he, he regularly puts it in his mouth if he's, uh, you know, sipping alcohol from it and then he sticks it in your glass it's just like i'm pretty sure that that finger's been in your mouth after the last time you washed your hands oh probably that's that's nasty and even if it hasn't he's probably like scratched his ear or like touched his hair that he hasn't washed in four weeks because it's the frigging zombie apocalypse so yeah and i think shaking people's hands is uh kind of antiquated now it is uh yeah i know what you mean I, i like the fist bump people have adopted in the pandemic age. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I, mean, I prefer a wave or uh, saying hi to somebody on, on a teleconference. A, a guy I work with left the company and on his last day, he shook my hand. He, oh, he, nice. he initiated it and I went for it. I'm fine. But I was like, that was the first hand I've shaken in two years. Like it's weird. It's been a while. I don't, I think I may have shaken my son's hand, but that's about it. I mean, that that's probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, here, there, there you have it, everyone. Um, the Warlords episode of The Walking Dead season 11. Uh, and 
kind of kind of fun and i'm looking forward to next week and i hope we just pick up right where we left off and find out what happens to the folks in this building yeah all right uh that's that uh i'd love to hear what you guys think of this episode so get your feedback in for our feedback episode later this week all right jason you know what time it is we're going to move on to the next phase of the podcast for before we do that though Trish in Boston sent me an email and she said, guys, we finally have an answer to what PPP stands for. I forgot to mention this earlier. P- oh, what? PPP. The Patreon Prize of Palooza. Oh, there it is. There it is. You need an access card. Y- you do. It's a very exclusive club. Uh, thank you, Trish, for that. Uh, it is time to talk about our Patreon Prize of Palooza. First, I would like to welcome and thank some new patrons that joined us this week at patreon.com slash the talking dead. That would be Marcus R, Harry M, Jonathan A, and Cheyenne M. I really hope I got that last name correct, uh, Cheyenne. I apologize if I didn't. But thank you so much for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the talking dead. You guys are all now in the running for one of our weekly episode prizes that I've got all laid out on a table over here beside me that no one can see but me, but I like to look over at it every time I mention it. Makes you feel good. Makes me feel good. That's right. So this week's prize is a group of things, an original Talking Dead podcast t-shirt. It's one of the original shirts we had made all those years ago. It's one of only three left. Or maybe two left, actually, because I think I've got another one coming up in a future week. But soon they're going to be all gone, and uh, I'll be sad, but not only, sad. Uh, the not t-shirt sad. was only worn once while you were sleeping. Yeah, that's right. Only the one time. Yeah, you wore it to bed, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be sad because they're all gone, but I'll be happy because they'll be in the hands of deserving listeners. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's also a pair, a pack of Walking Dead stickers in this one, a Whisperer's pop socket, and that official prop replica of the string bracelet featured in uh, season 10. So, with all that said, Jason, enlighten us on who this week's winner is. So, what I did for this one is I went uh, I went very old school, and I took all the names of the, uh, the patrons, and I uh, cut them into little slips of paper, and I put them in a bowl, and I mixed them all up, and then I pulled out a name, but then I thought... Eh, I could make this more difficult. So what I did was I took all those names and I cut all the individual letters out and I put all the letters into the bowl. Okay. And then I started picking out letters. Uh, and I'm proud to say that the uh, the the winner of this week's prize is Mugerschlerschmurst. But so <laughs> okay, I'll be in work. touch by email. Congratulations. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just picking out letters, I had to do it a few times uh, and uh, you know build some anagrams and to 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 get the, the letters right and to try and match it all up. So it, uh, basically all I did was make it more difficult for myself and it took a lot longer, which is, which is nice. Yeah. But eventually I did get, uh, I did get some letters, uh, that spelled a name. Okay. Uh, if you rearranged them, it didn't, they didn't come out in the exact order. Uh, they came out in an, in an L and then a U and then an M and then a, and then a P and then an A. So ultimately it's Paul M so that, it, uh, that wins the prizes. So it's not Lumpa. It, yeah, it was it, it was Lumpa. So yeah, Lumpa <laughs> won the prize this week. But uh, if you if you anagram that sucker, it is uh, Paul M. Congratulations to Paul M. 
aka Lumpa. Mm-hmm. You are the winner of this week's uh, Patreon prize, a Palooza prize pack. And I will be in touch by email to figure out how to get that to you. So uh, thank you, Jason, for doing that. And thank you to all of our patrons for supporting us. And congratulations again to Paul M for this be uh, for being this week's winner. I like uh, I like hard mode. Yeah, usually when you uh, you get you, you up the difficulty factor on things that don't need the difficulty factor uh, ramped up. Like with my son, once uh, once he was learning how to use the uh, use the bathroom properly, we got those toilet seats that have the uh, uh, the child seat built in uh-huh. that uh, that you can lower. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, it's for him so he doesn't fall into the uh, into the toilet, and also introduces a hard mode. When you feel like uh, going to the bathroom uh, with the difficulty factor ramped up. <laughs> for you. <laughs> for, for me, yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Hard mode. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Uh, if you would like to join uh, or and support us and become a patron, do so by visiting patreon.com slash the talking dead. Thank you so much to everyone who has contributed that way. All right, uh, Jason, that is going to do it for this here podcast for this week. Thanks to you and thanks to everyone for tuning in. Send in your feedback, your thoughts, your comments, everybody, for our feedback show coming up later this week. You can do that by visiting the website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top. You can record a message that will come right into us. You can also send your email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to all of those. And you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. All right, that is it for this uh, episode, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches of black masses. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerers of death's destruction. In the fields the bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh Lord. Politicians hide themselves away. They only started the war. Why should they go out to fight? They leave that role the poor. Time will tell on their power minds, making war just for fun, treating people just like pawns in chess. Wait till their judgment day comes. Now in darkness, world stops turning. Ashes where the bodies burn. No more warlords of the power. Hand of God has struck the hour. Day of judgment, God is calling, on their knees the warlords crawling, begging mercies for their sins, Satan laughing spreads his wings, O Lord. Okay, should have been war pigs, not warlords, but... Didn't have much to work with, really. We've had Motorhead, so let's have some Black Sabbath. And a bit of drama. Plus it would have made a great tune for the end titles. They've missed a trick there. Anyway, 
This is Tallahassee's twin brother. Over and out.